we did have a good trip, Leslie and I, very productive. Wasn't very entertaining, but it was productive. Thank you for your prayers. Um, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for time in your word. We're grateful for being a body of believers who cares to know your mind on things. We'd ask that we'd always be alert to it. In your son's name, amen. Well, it's obvious, uh, Thanksgiving on Thursday, and uh, America is probably most the most given to its passions on Thanksgiving, more than the consumption of Christmas or the candy of Halloween. The absolute, uh, their God is their belly, I think, as it says in the scripture. People recall it Turkey Day. They don't want to thank anybody. So they call it Turkey Day. And everybody knows that the amount of eating that goes on is supposed to be literally to knock you out. Eat so much that you fall asleep. Like the uh, sluggard puts his hand into the bowl and is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. That's how you are on Thursday. That's how you plan to be on Thursday. And if you say, if anything is right in my world, that's what will happen to me. I have a special dispensation from God to gluttony. And some of you, you, some of you could accept that. You just go, okay, I'm going to be a glutton. And you're cool with it. Others, you still do it, but you feel guilty about it. So you take some cans to the food bank to kind of get to absolution. But it's important for us to, to know what affects us about food. Um, I think I've mentioned before that my father who went through the depression, we take dinners to most evenings, um, he's always telling me to tell my wife not to put so much food in it. Because if I put the food in it, he eats the food. Because Lord knows he's been through a time when they had none. So every time food's put on your plate, you eat it down to, the, to clean. So I keep telling him he needs to learn to be thankful for abundance. Now there are some people for whom the idea, using the word abundance, suddenly you begin to realize that excess has a Bible word for it. When you call it abundance, you go, what is abundance? It's more than you need, right? Subsistence is what you need. You will subsist, because what if you were given subsistence food on Thursday? One, you'd file a grievance. You'd sue somebody. Because what would you get if it were subsistence? Some refried beans, maybe. A bowl of rice with butter on it. That would be your Thanksgiving. You would, you would stay alive till the next day. But we like abundance. And we're nice to know there's a Bible word for, for this kind of excess. But we also have to face up to the idea that it's not irrational or ungodly to think that a person should be concerned. Gluttony is also in there, right? I have this verse at Luke 12 on the top of the right-hand side. It's the famous, uh, we sang that 
what's it, um, Thanksgiving hymn that Stephanie requested. Um, come ye thankful people, come. Talking about harvest and, and you got probably at home, you maybe have a little knickknack that's a cornucopia of fruit coming out of it and, and um, it's a harvest thing. One of the multitude said to him, teacher, bid my brother divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of all covetousness. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance, there's that word, of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry this Thanksgiving. Now that's generally our plan. That's generally how we think about Thanksgiving. I, this is a farm area. We raise wheat and lentils and rapeseed and some other stuff. And generally good harvests and, and the grain bins are full and, and we like to think in harvest terms that, that when, the, when you're shaken down, what is it called? It's a 30, 60, 100 fold? Shaken down, running over. Those images of, of a lot of food coming out of harvest. And this is exactly what this guy doing. He got far more than he thought he was going to get. So he's sitting there going, okay, well, got to build some silos here to carry all this grain. And once I've got those built, I'm going to be able to sit back. It's going to be easy. I'm going to take my ease. And think of, th think of this Thursday. You're going to be sitting in your barca lounger or your whatever you have, lazy boy. You're going to rock it back filled with tryptophan and you're going to nod off and as you nod off you're going to say I have taken my ease I have eaten, I have drunk I will be merry there will be football on the TV we are this man but God said to him fool this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared whose will they be so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat, nor about your body, what you shall put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Now, I don't want this to be a sermon where the pastor takes the last vestige of a fun holiday and ruins it for you. I was looking forward to a turkey and a ham and 12 pies and, and a football game. Thank you very much. I have four days on which to meditate on the passage and you've ruined it for me. I might die that night is what you're trying to say to me. You will feel like dying. But it lays some things in front of us. We've got to think about it. Some people immediately go, aha, see? That abundance you were talking about, Evan? That kind of 
Life does not consist of the abundance of your food, the abundance of your possessions. So what do they do? You go for minimal, right? Because that's what sanctity is, of course. You, you, but you, I have to ask, minimal amounts? What if you have a lot of mashed potatoes? A lot. But mashed potatoes are cheap. You can feed a lot of people on mashed potatoes. Or do you have to have those small plate, you know, trendy thing? Not much food. What is the minimizing the, um, the food presence in your mind about? Because you don't really want to apply that to this passage. For life is more than food, right? And the body more than clothing. And you're not going to apply the same kind of reasoning to the clothing part, are you? Where nudity is really the only thing offering itself. Well, Bobby said it's more than clothing. If you're going to cut back on your food, quantity or cost, what is your guide for becoming that kind of expression of dodging this problem? Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions, and you have Thanksgiving coming up, you've got four days to work this out. Sometimes, when the Bible says, it's not about food, then we start to make it about the food, just in the negative side of the ledger. Start to make it about what I don't do. C.S. Lewis has a great, I forget which work it's in, a thing on gluttony. How the people, not who eat too much kind of gluttony, but people who care too much about food. It's not about food. Don't make the answer about the food. Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain... The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of fat things. That's almost my life verse. A feast of fat things. A feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wine on the lees well refined. And he will destroy on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. It's a great image. You know it's talking about your salvation here. Isaiah trotting around Israel in, in the 700s BC. Looking 700 years into the future, the coming days when on this mountain... God would take away our tears. He would take away our sins. He would save us. And on that day, it's going to be a feast of fat things. That's not subsistence. Wine, the 
more than you need. And I read you that passage because it's telling you about how there's a different kind of heart involved. Because you need to have both of these things be true. You don't want to be the rich fool who just thought about how much he had just made. He made entirely legitimate business decisions about his harvest. But life wasn't food. And our decisions that we make about our souls, our, our Messiah who has come to us to give us these good things, it's also not about the food, but it's the best way to express what, what is Christianity is face down in a pile of mashed potatoes. That's the good place. Frolicking in onion rings. You know it's good. You know you want to do it. Nothing is better than going out to the Best Western for their brunch, which Leslie doesn't like to do, but I like to do it because they have a, a, a silver thing and you open it up, has those little heaters under it, and you open it up, and it is full of bacon. It's full of bacon. And not cheap Denny's bacon or Sherry's bacon, but thick-cut bacon. Best Western bacon. You know that that... You can say to yourself, this is the salvation of the Lord. <laughs> because that's what Isaiah just did. He said, the fat things, with the marrow, with the wine, this is your Christ, this is your God. Onion rings, french fries, everything should come to mind. Everything that you know you shouldn't eat, you say, in Christ, that's the best image of our God. But no, we're, we're kind of cursed by picking up the notion, the more Gnostic notion out of the first thing in Luke that says, I'm in the business of cutting down everything, the food and the clothing. The simpler man who wears burlap and a rope. The simpler man who just has a simple dish of rice and perhaps salt. He's more godly. Ah, but the life does not consist in food, I thought, nor of your clothing. God is never very good to us when we want to build our religion the way we think it would be more religious. Because we run off into some monastic limitation off the first, first suggestion that if it's not in food, we assume it's not in food in the big way. Not in food in the abundant way. Not in food in the actual tasty way. So the more denial I can get into, it'll still be about food. And God wants to describe our salvation. On one hand, it's about, again, an obnoxious feast. You do know that husband and wife relationships, you know, sex, is the image of Christ in the church. Why did he do that? I mean, th this isn't right. This is not very Christian. An excessive feast, fat things with the marrow, lots of wine. I know Al understands this. This is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. Now, 
We have to somehow say, okay, how do I put this together in such a way that my dealing with abundance is not a trip? Because you know that abundant things can stumble you. You will think when you get a good paycheck or are you well fed, and Christ, God said this about the Jews, when you go into the land filled with milk and honey, and you will say to yourselves, what we have done has earned this, you will forget, forget me. So we know it's a problem. The uh, concern we have in this day and age, it's amazing to me how almost political food has become. You can almost imagine that if a man was walking down Main Street in Moscow, some hippie walked by him, no offense to you hippies, and saw on his lapel a Monsanto pen that he could be burned at the stake within moments because he has done bad things to the environment or he has nuked food or done something, messed with the genes of the food so more people could be fed, but that's not right. They tell you on things that you always knew didn't have gluten, that they're gluten-free now. <laughs> Gasoline, gluten-free. <laughs> Why? Everything is being defined, almost as if Christians were running around defining, have you ever run into Christians who see symbolism and everything? You know, three-legged stu stool is the trinity, you know, that's the sort of nonsense you get. Well, these people are about food, and they can't stop, you know, telling you that kale actually tastes good. They keep telling you that. There's a look of panic in their eyes when they do. We live in a world of stupid about food. It's all about the integrity, the honesty, the ethics of your food participation. We got a dinner to go to in about four days. It's going to be excessive at the Wilson household. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be all Isaiah about it, I think. Well, as I was looking at this question, and these things come up, it's pretty easy to take a New Testament approach. I have that verse out of Timothy right there. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by giving heed to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Departing from the faith, listening to demons. Okay? Through the pretensions of liars, because it's a lie, whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and enjoin abstinence from foods. Doctrines of demons. In the latter times, this will be the case. Can you imagine the person who's giving you the lecture about how you need to drink that kombucha, and I don't care, it's just mud water, all right? You think it's good, it's a fence against God. God gave us Coca-Cola. We don't need any of that. Not Pepsi. That's like Roman Catholicism.
This will actually go up on the internet later today. <laughs> That's a weird church, they say. It's a Coca-Cola church. I was reading Psalm 36 because the word abundance had occurred into it, and so I was looking at passages with that, and I was pulling some stuff out. And didn't start out about what we were dealing with, but as I got into it, I saw some things that, that might help us, or it might at least be a, 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 a guide uh, for us, or a, a pressure to act in a certain way. Verse 1 of Psalm 36, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself with his own eyes, that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are mischief and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and to do good. He plots mischief while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He spurns not evil. That's the nature of the wicked. They've designed a wicked life. They have designed a place uh, uh, where they can keep the categories of their sin because they've kept it inside themselves. They plan being wicked. Verse 5. Thy steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Thy faithfulness to the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the mountains of God. Thy judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, thou savest, O Lord. How precious is thy steadfast love, O God. The children of men take refuge in the shadow of thy wings. They feast on the abundance of thy house, and thou givest them drink from the river of thy delights. In God, in Christ, we are going to deal with the only words that can draw it up is abundance. It's feasting. It's delights. What do you do with that at this point? Because what you do then reads back into your actual food. How much jello you put on your plate on Thursday. How you deal with delight. We were reading through um, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis last this semester, early in the Pike Night reading. And one of the things that Lewis points out is that for everyone, life is either the beginning of hell or the beginning of heaven. Same life. Even the person who went from living a wicked, wicked life, because they turn and repent, all of their life became the beginning of heaven. And you're basically looking at this situation and going, what do I... I want to have this life, the exhalation of these images into the physical reality, the physical things we do, the physical delights we enjoy that are the images of what God is talking about in the Feast of the Blessed. I want to be sure that my view makes it the edge of heaven. That when I sit down at table on Thursday with my family uh, and my kids are coming out from New York and Portland this week, so you'll see them around. Um, you get to sit down and have the edge of heaven enjoyed in the meal. But for some, it could be the edge of hell, just like the harvest of the rich fool. He is building up 
I've got all this stuff. I'm going to take my ease. And for some reason, it wasn't quite what it ought to have been. He died that night. It was the next verse, the one I didn't read to. Verse, it's one in red, bold red. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light do we see light. That's, that's a very almost edgy remark. In thy light do we see light. All that has happened in this world, when God said at the beginning, let there be light. All the good things he has made, all things made to be received richly with thanksgiving, we are able to see if we stand in his light. His light defines the light we have. You can turn, you know, so I think it's at the very end of Ecclesiastes. I don't have it on your sermon notes because I just thought of it just now. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. Light is sweet and it's pleasant. But there are people who get up, <laughs> get up every day and they look out fully functional eyes and as well lit a room and a day as everyone else is in and they're in hell. How you stand in God is more to the point than how much food you allowed on the table or whether it had gluten in it or not or whether you had enough, you know, free-range jello <laughs> at your Thanksgiving feast because your conscience must be your guide on these things. But thy light, do we see light? So as I read that... <clears throat> I started to think about these other passages, like that one out of Timothy. And to say, what, what of God lightens my vision of God's delights? The delights he has given us from the fat things to the good wine. What does he tell me? Mark 7, here on the left-hand side. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a man from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and so passes on. He's basically saying, food's just stuff. Thus he declared all foods clean. In this, he just made it okay to eat the onion rings in bacon fat. He said, what comes out of a man is what defiles a man. Our measure is entirely wrong. We look at the things that says, you know, watch out for gluttony. Watch out for what abundance might do to you when you're not rich towards God. And so we think, okay, then the task is on me to strip down my life into some sort of Spartan limitation. Well, if you like to clean, you know, house, great. But don't make it godliness. Because you're still being about the thing. God says, no, rich towards God, not less towards food. 
Because food is just stuff. It becomes the edge of hell when I have made it important either as a gourmand who can lie there, you know, 600 pounder with, with slaves slipping delicacies into his mouth. I have had food that made me groan. Davis and Manisha took us to Per Se in New York and I groaned. I didn't think I would, I thought I was too cool for that, but I did. I couldn't believe that such a small object on my plate, they were kind of minimalist, that you wanted to slice it off molecule at a time and put it in your mouth so that you might groan again. There are people for whom food becomes an obsession. It becomes the thing, either their success at harvest or the granaries that they have or the enjoyments, the ease, the sitting, eat, drink, and be merry. Others, they think the food is a thing to combat and deny and say, how can I eat this when there are people in wherever who don't have any food? Or how can I eat this when the chickens were slaughtered in inhumane ways? And you look at them and you go, we slaughter them. You do know that. Slaughter. Kill them all. Inhumanely, though, we slaughter them. But don't get into those arguments at all. We're not about the stuff. It's just stuff you eat. The Lord knows you have need of the food. He knows you need to put clothes on. Some of us more than others. But he wants you to be rich towards him. All foods are clean. It's what comes out of you. What did that guy do back in the, uh, the rich fool? I will say to my soul, soul? He had not been rich towards God. It tells us in Timothy, this is the passage I read earlier, with the rest of it included, when he says, people who forbid marriage, verse 3, and enjoin abstinence from foods which God created to be. Which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. We stand in the world as really the only people who could just go, that food is just stuff made for us to enjoy, richly to enjoy, if I'm thankful to it. I, I suddenly either become the edge of hell by my dependence on it or my arrogance about what it means about me. I have succeeded. I have got something here. That's why thanksgiving is important. Everybody talks about be thankful and you want to ask them to whom? The USDA? You know, the Safeway? Winco, if you shop there? Who are we thankful for, too? Our thanksgiving. Everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For then it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. When you thank God this 
Thursday, before your Thanksgiving meal, thank him. It blesses the food. It blesses the abundance. You have not leaned on your own arrogance about what you've accomplished in this life, knowing you cannot decide whether you'll be alive tomorrow. But today's food you can thank God for. Because it is not about the food or the clothing. It's not about how much you spent on the food or the clothing. It's not about how much food or clothing. It's not about it. It's what you do, your heart is. It either becomes a self-flattery, a, another measure, another object lesson in, in your learning all about life, about how wonderful you are. Some of you and some of us walk through life pretty confident. Hey, I'm good looking. I'm talking about somebody else here. I'm good looking, slender, fit, dead. It's a great opportunity. Most people, and there's people you should be thinking about who don't have, because it, when it encourages you to throw a feast with your tithe money in Deuteronomy, it tells you don't forget others that need. Don't forget to give to the people who need to have it given to them who do not have. But your wallowing in that excess is either going to become a bit of hell, though you might not even know it. You might just say, one more Thanksgiving down the, low, down the line. You might always practice your Thanksgiving as a, as a moment of no concern. We need to stop and say, do I see this in the light that God has given? If God is light, and by it, we see light. We see the things that he has given the way we ought to see them. Well, I don't know. what your Thanksgiving is going to be like. My wife's stuffing is better than yours. I'm just saying. If you want a recipe, she'll give it to you. Because we're Christians. Her pie, pumpkin pie, better than yours. So I have a greater opportunity to be thankful to God on Thursday than you do. But try your best with your family traditions, the way you like your turkey. Anybody deep fry them? You guys? One deep fry. This is Idaho. Come on. We get a great opportunity. Enjoy it. Put it before the Lord as his gift to you, not your standing either with your family or with your love for the food. You do delight in it not only academically as, as the things between frui and delectari, you're, it's delectable. You're supposed to be enjoying it that way. Enjoy it that way. But from your knees, before you take it, render God thanks. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. We love these weeks. We love the time with family. We love the time with our friends. We love the food. Lord, your goodness and grace is imaged by it. 
but your power is not in the flesh, it's in the spirit. And we'd ask that we, our spirits would be refreshed as we sit down to the things that we just eat. Bless it all. In your son's name, amen.